Welcome to Terrible, the podcast where two friends discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare themselves for life's most terrible things. Quick disclaimer, the following podcast will include graphic and explicit content. Our goal is to respect victims and their families. We do not want to sensationalize crimes or glorify criminals. We are not experts. We want to tell these stories in order to learn from them and make sure victims and their families are not forgotten. I'm Renee, a longtime true crime enthusiast who has spent years listening to countless cases. Marie, on the other hand, has recently delved into true crime after being recommended a case on a YouTube channel. We both believe that once you watch or listen to your first true crime case, there's no going back. So let's do this. Last week, we discussed the case of Mocha Dawkins. When we posted our episode on our social media, I noticed that Mocha was active on social media as well. I debated following her or not, and then I thought, well, she deserves to know that we're talking about her. Because she's lovely, she immediately liked our post and followed us back. At first, I was extremely excited, and then it hit me. I hope my research is accurate, and I hope she likes the episode if she listens. Well, she did listen, and we sent her a quick message just to connect. She did let me know that there were a couple minor mistakes, but that she enjoyed listening to the episode and we accurately represented her truth and her struggles as a black trans woman my anxiety was so high just because the last thing we want to do is make a mistake or be disrespectful i second guessed myself about covering survivor stories and then realized that we're not experts we say so in our intro we do our best to accurately convey what is covered in the media we've mentioned many times that we welcome any feedback or corrections but i shouldn't be scared to pick these cases and cover them because they are so important to cover but all we can do is commit to learning and growing as we've said before We've offered to make any necessary corrections where need be. If she gets back to us, we will definitely address it. It's also not her responsibility to correct us. It's ours to do the best research possible and we will continue to try and do our best. We also both work full-time jobs and we're out here trying. So <laughs> all to say, it's hard to cover these cases, but it's even harder to live through them. So I'm going to stop with my rant now, but I felt that we should address that. Let's get started with this week's updates. So this week I discovered that while driving to work, I... I ran over a nail Uh on my tires. Yeah, so it's really not that interesting. Life is pretty boring lately. But about a month ago, I realized that like the air in my tires, I'm not not a, not a big car gal over here, but <laughs> I, I realized that the air in my tires seemed kind of low. So like I told my boyfriend, I'm like, mm, I feel like my tire needs air. And he was like, oh yeah, yeah, no problem. And like, we never talked about it again. And then we were running errands last weekend and he just like looks at my tire and he's like, your tire's low in air. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I told you like a told month you. ago. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, okay, but like it's it's, <laughs> it's flat in air. So we went to put air in it. Then after I drove it to work a couple more times, he looks at it again. He's like, no, it's it's still like. Mm-hmm. So we found a big nail. Oh my, in my god. Tire. Yeah. So I think I've been driving around for like. <laughs> yeah. How long is the question, right? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. But anyway, all is you know good. what though? Good thing you didn't like get halfway to work and then you just like actually couldn't drive on it anymore. I was kind of lucky, and I didn't even. This might sound stupid for people that know a lot about cars. <laughs> we brought the tire to a tire shop, and they like patched the hole. Did you know they could do that? Um, no. <laughs> how long is the patch actually gonna stay on there? I have no idea. Don't ask me questions, but it's back on. It's back on. It's going well. There we go. Hey, that's all you can ask for. That's the most exciting thing that's happened to me this week. My personal update is that I got my booster shot for the vaccine. I always feel like absolute crap the next day. Like I had full body ache. I slept for like five hours in the afternoon. My armpit still hurts. Remember how Audrey was saying that her armpit hurt after her vaccine? Yeah. Yeah, mine literally still hurts. (laughs) 
Like That's I was putting, so weird. Yeah, like I was putting deodorant on and I couldn't, I almost cried. My <laughs> other update is not an update, but it's an interesting fact. I remember, I think it's like the first episode we started doing updates. I said I started watching prison documentaries. Yes. So I was watching one earlier and did you know that they talk to other inmates through toilets and build relationships. So like, let's say it's no. like- No. Yeah. Okay. I was like, I don't know if I'm done and like everyone knows this, but like- No. So, <laughs> so let's say it's like a co-ed prison, not females and males, like all in one space, but like, let's say like one level up is where the males are and one level down is where the women are. Right. So whoever's in the cell above you, you could talk to through a toilet. And sometimes two levels above you, you could talk through It's through like a walkie-talkie pretty much but so that you yeah exactly so they form relationships and one lady was like in love with this man that that was above and so they ended up moving her cells and she was like heartbroken she's never seen him in her life but she was this is heartbroken. like prison catfish i just have no idea they were so in love and then he was trying to figure out a way for him to move cells like where she is and everyone was telling him her new cell block or whatever <laughs> right but he right. <laughs> Could you imagine the next chick that moves in there and all I she know. hears coming from the toilet is like, hey, baby. And she's like, what the, what I know. is that? And they have to empty the toilet water for them to like actually get a clear sound through. So what they'll do is they'll empty the toilet water and then they'll bang on the toilet to notify the person up there that they're ready to talk. And then some people will have like cups stacked so that they don't have to be super close to the toilet, but some will just like stick their head right in. I love how you used to judge me for listening to true crime <laughs> podcasts, and now you are just watching the weird I know. stuff on television. But shit's so good. It's so good. <laughs> like, how are you in a relationship with a man you've never seen and you're totally in love? And he's in love too with her, but they've never seen each other. So I'm, spe- I'm literally speechless. I'm so speechless, if you guys didn't know, say. you know, if you go to prison. Try making a relationship through the toilet. It's, it's stick great... your hand in the toilet and scream yeah. and see if you, you know. Answers. Yeah, exactly. Because sometimes you only have limited phone calls, so you might as well just make buddy buddy with whoever's upstairs. Unlimited toilet time. Yeah, Why not? absolutely, I would. All right, so let's get into this week's case. So the sources for this week are two Wikipedia pages: uh, Murderpedia, a UK government article, a Forensic Files episode. It was season five, episode fifteen. And an article from the Free Library, and finally an article from the Globe and Mail by Colin Freeze. Can I? Yeah. Sorry, can I just <laughs> say Murderpedia? Is that oh, yeah, like girl. a Wikipedia for murders? Yes, welcome to the podcast. Wow, world. that's Pia. so cool. We're gonna talk about it. This case was suggested to us by Kemi, so thank you very much for the suggestion. We hope you enjoy the episode. And if anyone else has any suggestions, please feel free to to message us on our social media at Terrible True Crime. And also, before we get started, don't forget to review the podcast if you can. Leave us a comment and a review; it really helps. This case will start for us in England. Yes, I know you're thinking, but Renee. This is a Canadian true crime podcast. I promise we'll get to it. We'll get to it, okay? It's July 28th, 1996. A commercial fisherman has set off for the day. He's casting these large nets. And okay, so yes, I looked it up because I felt we needed to know what he was fishing for. I don't know. I felt like it was a vital piece of information. It's not. It's not. But I I really felt like it needed to be in there. So thankfully, this case has actually a Forensic Files episode, like I mentioned. So I was like, ooh, a little homework television. Mm -hmm. So I got to watch it. This is what I could find online. This species targeted while uh, fishing in this area of England include sole, rays, cod, 
whiting, bass, and herring, and also shellfish like oysters, cuttlefish, and crab. So basically what they're doing is they're throwing these giant nets into the water and then pulling them back up um, to collect all the the creatures. So as this fisherman reels in his net, he notices something's different this time. His net has caught the body of a man. In this Forensic Files episode, the fisherman actually speaks like he's interviewed in the episode yeah and he says something around those lines i didn't like directly quote him but he basically says he debated leaving the body there because he knew it would probably cost him like one day's wage to report it to the police because they'd have to like stop everything (laughs) and and, like do an investigation to which i said you're probably really struggling uh bad look for this guy right now but also like i I but I feel like my first thought would, if if I were to have a thought of, I don't want to go to police with this body, would be like, what if they think I'm a, I'm a suspect? True. Right? Because, I don't know. That would be my thought, but okay. He probably wasn't a true crime enthusiast. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thankfully, this man decides to phone emergency services. So the man's body gets taken to the medical examiner and an autopsy is performed. The body is confirmed to be a middle-aged man. It's evident that there's a large gash on his head and water in his lungs which indicates that the man had drowned so Marie, this is probably going to come up over and over again but if someone's found in a body of water if they have water in their lungs they most likely were alive when they went into the water because they inhaled water but if they're found in a body of water and don't have any water in their lungs they were killed and then just dumped okay that's good to know actually yeah (laughs) got it uh so the next step in solving this case is obviously identifying this man he had a maple leaf tattoo on his left hand and was wearing a rolex watch so apparently this is something i didn't know but all rolex watches have a serial number and they're registered to the person who purchased the watch i feel like that makes sense though just because of how expensive they are i didn't know that but yeah, I guess that does make sense. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. But I feel like it's, I would never like think yeah, about money on a watch. So I was just yeah. like, it's never really like crossed my mind. Yeah. So they're able to use this. This is pretty incredible. They're able to just use the fact that he's wearing this Rolex watch to identify him. The man that was found is 51 year old Ronald Platt. When they look into Ronald, they find a recent rental application. So he had put in a rental application to, to rent. I think it was an apartment in an apartment building. So they're able to track that down. And on this application, there was a reference for a man by the name of David Davis. <laughs> That's a funny name. Investigators use that contact information that was left for David and phone him. They notify him that his friend had been found dead. They learn that David is a 50-year-old retired financial advisor. At the time, he is living with his 21-year-old wife and two kids. Yep, <laughs> you heard me. He is 50 years old and she's 21. Now, no judgment for a nice, healthy relationship with an age gap, as long as everyone involved is consenting, they're adults. But anyway, this is not necessarily that, and and we're going to get into it. David tells investigators that he hadn't seen Ronald in three months. Since David seemed to be the only lead, they decide to pay him a visit October 14th, 1996. My birthday! Shout out, Renee's birthday! Jackie's a bad friend if she leaves that in. Once in his neighborhood, investigators knock on a door that they believe is David's. They quickly realize they have the wrong address, but the community is a close one, so they tell the man who answered that they are looking for a man by the name of David Davis. The neighbor tells them that there is no one by that name that lives in the community. He says that the man they are describing is named Ronald Platt. Now, investigators are obviously confused. It's not really clear at this point if they actually go to David's family home or if they decide to look into the mystery man that they thought was named David Davis that is going by Ronald Platt 
which is the name of the man who was found in mm-hmm. July. Sketchy. When they take a closer look into him, they realize all of David's bills are paid for and signed by Ronald Platt. Because Ronald, Ronald was rich. <laughs> <laughs> So this obviously causes them to take an even deeper dive into the man they thought was named David Davis. They find out that David owned a sailboat parked in the same body of water where Ronald's body was found. They were then able to trace the phone calls from David's phone coming from that area around the end of July when Ronald would have drowned. After that, they talked to some witnesses that had seen the two together after he told police it was the last time he saw him. I realize I'm diving right into the investigation and things are getting really obvious, but it's because there's a lot of background stuff we're gonna kind of back up and get to after so this is kind of necessary for us to go over like right away okay i'm not i'm not leaving anything up to speculation (laughs) okay so what is the motive here it's starting to become obvious to investigators that david is the prime suspect and a pretty damn good one at that eventually investigators run david's fingerprints they find out that the man they thought was named david davis that was going by ronald platt was actually one of Canada's most wanted fugitives. This man was actually named Albert Johnson Walker. Let's talk about Albert. So Albert Johnson Walker was born August 9th, 1946 in Paris, Ontario, Canada. Wait, that's a place? Yes. What? There is an actual town in Ontario called Paris, Ontario. And for those of you non-Ontario natives, there is a town in Ontario called London, Ontario, to which I say, come on, Ontario, get some originality. What's going on here? No, but I just, I read that I had to like triple check facts. I'm like, I know this is what this is telling me, but I, I'm just not believing it because come on. Yeah. Especially because every time I talk about like London, Ontario, to someone who's not super familiar with London, Ontario and London, England. And I'm like, no, London. In Ontario and like that's exactly how I feel with Paris I'm like what the hell there's a Paris in Ontario okay like oh yeah I just live in Paris like oh yeah no not <laughs> yeah like trying to sound all bougie Paris. so Albert was a high school dropout which I like hate that term <laughs> I don't know I just feel like it has like so like oh that person's a high school dropout anyway whatever he is a high school dropout <laughs> he worked various odd jobs he was eventually hired to work as a bank teller for a trust company as a side gig he started helping people file their income tax returns so sounds super boring but okay okay so let's just make this another rule please do not trust randoms to do your taxes okay <laughs> after two years of working at the trust company he had a goal of establishing his own freelance bookkeeping business named Walker Financial Services Incorporated. Over a decade, his business grew into six branches with about 30 employees. Pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. You know, seems like a go-getter. He's really going at it. He's opening businesses and creating jobs. In 1986, a stock deal that Walker had invested in collapsed. As a mortgage broker and financer, Walker defrauded about 70 Canadian clients out of $3.2 million. Ouch. This is not very nice. Don't do this. These poor families that he did this to, a lot of people who trust um, financial advisors, you know, put a lot of money towards trusting them to invest that money. Yeah. A lot of this money is set for retirement plans and stuff. This is this is a true crime. It is very horrible to do something like this yeah. to people. And it just leaves like so many people in like a path of destruction over one man's like bad decisions. Mm-hmm. So sometime around all of this, he gets married and has three kids. It's not really clear exactly when or I couldn't find any specific information but at this point he's a family man has three kids is married has a wife and this happens in 1990 
After this, he flees to Europe with the second of his three daughters. In 1993, Walker was charged in Canada with 18 counts of fraud, theft, and money laundering. Over a period of time, Walker became Canada's most wanted criminal. Wow. This is bad. Don't do this to people. <laughs> Wait, so he flees to Europe with the second of his three daughters. So he just takes her and, and runs kind of thing? Like the family yeah, doesn't know no, or there's no yeah. specifics? So I literally, like my next line is like kidnapping though. Like they charge oh. him with fraud, theft, and money laundering. But I'm like, what about kidnapping? Mm-hmm. Like what's going on there yeah <laughs> he just took this little girl with him she was 15 at the time it's a different country like yeah how come kidnapping intense. isn't on there i don't yeah. know <sighs> so canadian officials had been building a case against him since 1991 while he was in europe albert settles down in Herongate in north yorkshire probably north north yorkshire <laughs> okay he changed his name to david so very original you're right you Matthew was like making fun of david david <laughs> Actually, was- he picked it he picked david davis okay but the fact that i was like who the hell would name their kid david knowing his last name's davis and he picked his own name i oh my god because you know sometimes people have stupid names and you're like "Mm, okay your parents like did you do yeah but no he did himself he picked the name david i i hope to god it was out of necessity for some reason (laughs) but it doesn't really feel that way so he changes his name, like I said, to David Davis, and he befriends a television repairman by the name of Ronald Joseph Platt. In 1993, he had met Joseph through Ronald's ex-girlfriend, Elaine, who worked in an antique shop. Albert duped her into believing that he was an ex-banker worth millions, which he kind of was, I guess. Ex-banker worth ex-millions. <laughs> worth other people's millions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know how much money he actually was able to like get away with and flee with. I'm not sure if it was all of it. Mm. Like, I don't know. So she fell for his easy charm and was delighted when he offered her a job. Elaine told Albert her boyfriend had been brought up in Canada and was infatuated with everything Canadian and was desperate to go back and live there. Okay, I've been (laughs) to Europe. (laughs) I'm not gonna say it's better than Canada, it's not it, but it's it's very different. I just feel like no one from Europe is like infatuated with the thought of Canada. That's what I was gonna say. Like, I feel like it's the other way around. Like, if you're you're brought up in Canada, you're happy to be here. You're very grateful. It's a great Mm -hmm. country. I don't necessarily feel like as a European, I'd be like, wow. I want to go there. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, if you do, welcome. Come on in. Hey, (laughs) come on in, eh? Eager to cover his track, Albert saw his chance. He made Elaine and Ronald directors of his firm. Elaine flew all over Europe, opening bank accounts for the corporation. Okay, I'm going to hope that this is just like because of the time period that this case takes place in. Because now I feel like people are asking you for your birth certificate. Your, like I just, not necessarily, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're just asked to prove mm-hmm. so many things. But this girl's just flying all over Europe, opening bank accounts for yeah. Albert slash David it's just so I feel like Albert um would not have thrived in 2022 but that's just an opinion true so then he encouraged the two of them to immigrate to Canada Albert tells Ronald that he needed his driver's license and signature stamp and birth certificate for the business okay I'm gonna throw another rule at you do not give anyone your important documents not only can they steal them and steal your life the process of trying to get some of those copies back is so annoyingly difficult do not do this 
keep all your stuff in a safe place and do not give them to anyone yeah. else. Just a bad idea. If anyone wants your social insurance card, run. run. Yeah. Not only no, but start running. Yeah. <laughs> Albert waves goodbye to his bestie Ronald in 1993. He thinks it's goodbye forever since this is supposed to be a permanent move. And because he has no morals, he assumes Ronald's identity. So now we're kind of a little bit caught up as to where we are now. Elaine would return six months later. I guess the relationship wasn't doing so well. I guess Or maybe so. she hated Canada because six months is <laughs> not a very long time. To she probably moved in like November or something and then just yeah, and she was the winter. Like, she was yeah. like, I'm sorry, minus what? <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> and Ronald stayed for two more years okay now investigators have to start figuring all this out so they have all these different pieces but they're wondering like okay what led to all of this what led to a murder they were originally going to charge albert for check fraud but with all the information they had found they decided to go with murder october 31st 1997 on halloween they are pulling up to albert's house and he flees in a taxi cab in a taxi <laughs> which is just the weirdest thing because i think what? like taxi driver you're being chased by the police what are you gonna like, do yeah what loyalty do you have to this weird 50 year old man yeah. in the back seat i mean unless the taxi driver was just like i'm down for the thrill of it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's- yeah that doesn't work out for him police catch up to him and he's arrested under suspicion of murder meanwhile his wife at the time noelle the 21 year old and the two girls are in the home investigators tell noelle to pack a diaper bag they must have been suspicious solely based on the weight of the bag that she packed for the kids because they open it up and they find $4,000 in cash and five gold bars. A time period thing. I, do we Oh, do this that is now? in 1997. We were I know. alive. Okay, so do people keep gold bars yes, in their house? they do. Should I keep a gold bar in my house? Yes, but they're worth <laughs> like a lot of money. Okay, so I can't afford a gold bar. Yeah. So also in Noelle's purse, there's a bunch of financial information linked to Ronald and his ex-girlfriend Elaine. So they had IDs for both of them. And this next part is kind of nuts. They find the birth certificates for both girls and on them is listed Ronald and Elaine as the parents. So they went as far as to use their identities to list those names on the birth certificates of their daughters. Oh my god. Isn't that weird? That's really weird. That's like icky. I don't know, like legally, like what if something happens and like- I just hate when people drag their kids into this stuff. They didn't make this decision. We'll we'll formulate an opinion at the end. Okay. (laughs) So she claims that she had all of these IDs and Elaine's cards because she needed medical insurance while she was pregnant. So I guess Elaine had had some type of medical insurance and she was able to use that while she was pregnant. Oh, if you're pregnant and you need like healthcare and it's not available to you, like I feel this, but I don't know if that was exactly the case in this situation, but the investor decide to interrogate noelle so obviously she's the closest person to albert slash david and um they want to get some information from her they try to get her to kind of turn on albert a little bit and they try to like kind of like you know wedge a gap between them and to do this they use the age gap so i don't know if they're saying things like oh he's so much older than you like you just tell us you'll be able to recover from this i don't know but it's said that they use the age gap to drive a wedge between them and finally during the interrogation she blurts out he's my father Wait, like his girlfriend is actually his daughter? So, Noelle, which is the wife, the 21-year-old who was Our living wife, yeah. with... Yeah, wife? <laughs> okay. So, Noelle is David Davis slash Albert's wife. At this time, she's 21, he's 50. So, do you remember when I told you earlier that he flew to England with his 15-year-old daughter? Oh! <gasps> 
That's her. So I'm gonna How say. How is that legal? There's no way they're legally oh, it's not, married. Wait, no, it's not legal. No, 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 no. No, absolutely none of this is legal. Okay, nothing Ew. going on in this entire story. Right, true, oh, true. So further investigation reveals the couple had money from different denominations and several gold bars, so they were kind of like ready to go at any time. And they also. Oh my god, found- I swear I can't get over it. <laughs> I know it's not funny. We're like, laughing because we're uncomfortable. It's not yeah, funny. It's just it's like what's going on. Like, please, yeah. with his fifteen-year-old daughter, ends up making her his wife. So she basically starts posing as his wife. They also find a receipt in in uh, the couple's stuff for a ten-pound anchor, the same ten-pound anchor that had been used to weigh down Ronald's body. Now that I'm looking at that, like ten pounds, like I feel like you would need a heavier anchor, but maybe that's why he was fished out. Yeah, but I guess once your lungs fill with water, like, you're not going to float. So, like, yeah, 10 pounds know. is enough. To be honest, like, when I'm in the pool, I can't do a star. Like, I can't float. <laughs> so, like, 10 pounds, I'm sure, would be enough to be like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm in. They also find Ronald's DNA and his fingerprints on the boat. So, on the boat that David Davis slash Albert. I'm just going to go with Albert because that's him. Oh, that Albert had owned. The boat's GPS had last been used on July 20th. So we started our case in July, at the, you know, mid to end July. Ronald's Rolex watch was self-winding and covered about 40 hours. So this meant that like he like cranked his watch back every 40 hours or so. Basically, it was like a mechanism. So he cranked it back and it did it for like the 40 hour period. And then he cranked it all the way back. Oh, okay, okay, if I'm explaining this wrong... Don't laugh at me, but that's what I'm. That's what I, I don't think know it. what it means. So hey, the watch had stopped working on July twenty second. So basically, this watch like single handedly solved this case. <laughs> so oh. this watch did not only identify Ronald's body, but also was able to basically tell us when he was in the water and to when the watch stopped working. So that period of time to where he was put in the water and probably drowned, which is kind of incredible. December 9th, 1996, Albert is charged with murder. During his trial, Albert's daughter testified against him. Uh, So it's hard to tell if this was like voluntary or if they were like, if you don't testify, we're going to charge you with something or whatever. Right, yeah. July 6th, 1998, the jury took two hours to find him guilty of first-degree murder, and they sentenced him to life in prison with no parole eligibility for 15 years. Ugh, I don't, like, love the life in prison term because it's not accurate. If you're giving someone eligibility for parole in 15 years, then it should be named something else. But Yeah, I agree, because it mis- I find it misrepresents what the justice system is doing, especially to people who don't necessarily know the exact laws or, or what that would mean. Like, like, when you hear life in prison, like you say, the first thing you think is, okay, they're never getting out. Yeah, which is not accurate, because they mm-hmm. can apply for parole or yeah. when they're 15 years or up, yeah. and then oftentimes the victims have to go right up against the parole mm-hmm. board and re-explain as to why that person should be put in jail which is also not really fair to the victims right yeah so after this sentencing ronald's ex-girlfriend elaine punched the air in triumph after albert was sentenced and declared break out the champagne that man is so evil if i hadn't been so open with him the first day i met him ron would be alive today which is so sad because she was like the connecting factor between the Mm -hmm. both of them i mean it's not your fault but i'm sure you feel somewhat responsible yeah so in 2005 Albert, who was 75 at the time, was allowed to return to Canada to serve out his life sentence. I feel like this could be found, I I didn't necessarily see anything about him serving any time um, related to 
the financial charges that he had earlier, but it's quite possible that they were like, sure, send him back to Canada. We'll tack on time for right. everything else that he did. I'm not exactly sure, but basically they allowed him in 2005 to serve out the rest of his time in Canada. So he's transferred from where he is in England to Canada. And now we're going to... Which, I wonder what that process looks like. I have no idea. You know what I mean? Prison is so complicated. Prison like, is how so do you transfer someone countries who's in custody like that? I wouldn't want someone sitting on a, an airplane beside me in handcuffs. Yeah, I'm guessing they fly with like air marshals. I don't know. Total guess. So now we're going to go into that Globe and Mail article that I mentioned earlier um, in the in the sources. Uh, this is an article where Albert's daughter talks a lot. So we're kind of going to get her impression of things and her experience. Albert's daughter is now living in Canada. She would not agree to a paternity test. So we basically still don't exactly know who the kid's father was the two girls and you know it's probably best that way like these two little girls are, are currently living in canada and they're probably they're definitely not little anymore right so yeah i definitely respect i and I, you can find albert's daughter's name i think she's going by a different name now i felt it was unnecessary to, mm-hmm. to put it in here but i do agree of, of the daughter's choice not to kind of get a paternity test she knows what's happened we can speculate that it was some kind of ancestral sexual abuse and that is extremely awful and it obviously she was 15 at the time that she left with her father so yeah. either way some bad stuff was going on in that household i think and it's just all bad so i thought it was important to hear from her a little bit because she is a victim in this scenario after hearing about her father being allowed to come to Canada, she was obviously in shock. She says that most Canadians were as well because her father had become quite notorious. He had said that he wanted to be closer to his family. His daughter, who was a teenager when she was forced to present herself as his wife, said she would have preferred he lingered and died in English prison. So there's bad yeah. blood there. So we yeah, don't blame her. Yeah, so she said, I believe that he poses a threat. I need to protect my family from him. I fear for my family's safety. She explained that she doesn't know when her father will be released or whether he will try to contact her from prison. I was under the impression that he'd be gone for a lot longer and I would have time to build a better life for my family just in order to protect them for the future and any threat he poses to us. Her home is just a few hours drive away from Millhaven Institute, a maximum security prison where her father is jailed, which just like, I just feel like adds like- Yeah, I would want to be in at least different province. Yeah, not only is he back in Canada, he's actually just a few hours drive away from her. Like that is not- Okay. Yeah. She said she hasn't been in touch with him in years. I don't want any contact. She added that she has no idea where her father stashed the money from his Canadian clients all those years ago. Thinking about the gold bars and stuff that we mentioned earlier, he obviously had used some of that money to put towards, you know, things that he could buy and then maybe quickly use Mm -hmm. if he had to, like, go on the run. But it seems like it's not clear where all that money went. So maybe some of it is hiding somewhere and Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay, so she says, I don't know anything about it. He didn't confided me he manipulated me and lied to me just like everybody else during his murder trial albert told court that he didn't want his daughter to come to england with him but she wanted to come and she pleaded with him if this is true of course she did she's a 15 year old girl who's watching her dad probably Mm -hmm. pack his bags and does not want to see him leave yeah like this is not and again there's no proof there's a lot of speculation but if what ha- if what we think happened happened, this is not an excuse for you to do what you did to your daughter. It's unacceptable. 
Agreed. She was pregnant two years later, but he said at the trial that he tried to comfort her about the situations. All sorts of girls have children out of wedlock. Don't let it bother you. This again, it's not really clear exactly what happened. Considering the other stuff this man's done, I would not put it past him. Mm -hmm. He told the court that at times he had been economical with the truth, but insisted that he did not murder Ronald Platt because they were friends. My father suggested that because there was a small child, we should present ourselves as a couple. She also said that her father called her in Canada before his trial to urge her not to testify against him. Which, again, I feel like you're not supposed to do that. Don't do that. Don't interfere in a trial, even if it's your own. You shouldn't be able to influence any part of that. Albert is still serving his sentence and has recently been denied parole in 2021. He's now 75. This week, we are donating to the Canadian Red Cross. The Canadian Red Cross is working hard to advise people to be aware of fraudulent activities related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Although we know this doesn't necessarily have much to do with with the case directly, we thought it was an important place to donate because so many people are being defrauded related to the pandemic. And this is really unfortunate because people are taking advantage of others in a very vulnerable situation. And we wanted to do something to help. If you would like to contribute to the Canadian Red Cross, the link to donate will be in our description and Instagram slash TikTok bio. Pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram. So please follow us at Terrible True Crime. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review below. If you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our socials or email us at terribletruecrime at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us. And see you next time.